Amen. Man, starting with the kids, which got me emotional. In communion, and a house full of people. Good morning so far, and I'm thankful for that. If you're wondering why the three deacons that were up here were the three deacons that were up here, of the deacons we have, those are the three most able-bodied deacons of the deacons. And I'm not sure what that says, but it says something. But, so we made them work a little harder this morning, did a little different, but <laughs> thankful for their spiritual guidance anyway. <laughs> oh, man. A couple of things before we get into this. If you're a note taker, there's the QR code or the, or the link to go to that. Um, this Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, barring Mother Nature going crazy, which currently looks great, we should be okay. Uh, we've partnered with the city uh, and several other businesses to have a helicopter egg, Easter, Easter egg drop. Um, this is something that my church back home has done a, a bunch of times. I've always wanted to do it here, and there happened to be uh, someone working at the city, Donna Wells, who, uh, who has the, had the same desire at the same year, and it all worked out. So we have someone that's going to fly in. They'll drop the eggs on the football field in different locations for different ages, and the kids will come in there and get them. We're not going to drop them on top of the kids. I know some people have asked me about that. Although, although if I got to choose which kids, we might do that. But uh, we're not doing that. Uh, but we will have an area separate from that for the younger kids, the very young kids, and, and it will just be a normal Easter egg hunt. So if you want to help out with that, uh, as far as getting eggs together, if you could get some candy-filled eggs and drop them off at City Hall, we, you don't have to tape them or anything, just normal candy-filled eggs, drop them off at City Hall, and we'll use those for the little bitty kids. We already have the taped eggs, excuse me, I can't stop burping this morning, we already have the taped eggs ready to go um, for, the, for the egg drop, so as long as we don't get bad weather, that should happen, so the other thing we'll need with that is human beings, people there to help police traffic, people there to watch the spectacle, but not just watch, but to help, um, because we don't want to just have an egg drop, we want to be a presence for Christ any time that we get the opportunity. Maybe we get a chance to pray with somebody that day, maybe you get a chance to share the gospel that day, uh, but you will definitely have the opportunity to invite them to come to our Easter play, which will be that same evening at 6 p.m., and invite them to church on Resurrection Sunday, which will be the following morning. So, um, plan to be part of that. 10 o'clock Saturday morning. If you can get there 15, 20 minutes early, that'd be great. Uh, the Easter play that we are doing, um, it's a pretty lighthearted play. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good time. Um, it's not very long, so you won't even have to give up a whole lot of your time. You can just come enjoy it, be together that evening at six and then Easter Sunday, obviously next Sunday morning. So we're looking forward to all those things. And with all those things said, Let's get into the message today. We're looking at nothing but the blood, and we'll be in Romans chapter 5, if you haven't already noticed, and Hebrews chapter 9. And without further ado, or any introductions or anything else, let's just dig into this, because I think the Lord has a word for us today. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath through him our exchange today again is titled nothing but the blood today as we go through this scripture and the scriptures that we will also go through my prayer is that you either realize for the first time 
or are reminded, if you already have faith placed in this, that you leave here hoping and trusting in one and only one thing in this world and in this life, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that that is what you leave here with today, that you have one hope, one thing to rest your expectant certainty on, which is what hope means when you speak about it in a scriptural sense. Expectant certainty on that. That is the blood shed for you by Jesus the Messiah. That's what my hope and prayer is this morning. So those couple of verses, God demonstrates his own love towards us. We had a wonderful time yesterday. Uh, it's Friday night. We went down to Texarkana, to Mission Texarkana, uh, to, to serve with Church Under the Bridge. We've been there before. It's been five years since we were there the first time, which is crazy. I started looking back at pictures. We all look different. I had a little hair back then. Alex had a little more fluff back then. Um, it was, it was awesome. But we went down there, and, we, and, we, and we, we served the church under the bridge. There's a large homeless population in Texarkana. Um, just had a great time uh, serving and, and praying. And it just it fills my heart when I see our people serve, when I see people that feel like, like the world has completely forgotten about them. Not only does it, has it forgotten about them, most people don't even care about them, disdain their presence. When I see our people wrap their arms around other brothers and sisters in Christ and pray for them. When I hear someone say, you know, I wasn't prepared for this. I was passing out a biscuit and I said, would you like a sausage biscuit for your breakfast? And the person said, I'll trade the biscuit for your prayers. When you're told things like that, it just, man, it just, it, it gets my spirit full and gets me fired up and rolling. What am I saying? What am I bringing all that up for? It was a demonstration of God's love and, and Pastor Cody talked about that yesterday. It was amazing. He talked about how God's love is an active love. We talk about that all the time. If I've told the youth this once, I've told them a million times through the years. God's love, real love, true love, is not the ooey-gooey, warm, fuzzy things that you think are love when you're a teenager. That's hormones, and that's a different thing. Okay, That's infatuation, and that's crushes, and that's all those things. Love does not deal in feelings. God's love deals in action. Indeed, it is demonstrated. It is done God presents his love this way, you could say it in English on this verse. God proves his love to be, you could say it like that in English using this Greek word. Sunestao is the Greek word used here for demonstrate. Sunestao. This is what God's love consists of. This is what makes it stand, you could say it that way. This is the provable demonstration of himself because he is love, you could say it that way. Demonstration to whom? Who's he demonstrating towards in this verse? To us. <laughs> He's demonstrating it to us, proving it to us. He knows who he is. His demonstration is so that we know who he is. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to know this one thing. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. That is a truth that needs to be proclaimed by the followers of Christ as often as we can. Not, you're a sinner, you're bad, and I'm good. No, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And Christ is that Savior. He is that Savior. And if you're here today and you do know that, and you do follow Jesus, you have 
placed your faith in that, you have been saved, then you need to be reminded, and I need to be reminded, that you are a sinner that has been saved by God's love. Be thankful for that. Be humble in that. Humility in the fact that the God of the universe has demonstrated his love toward you. It ain't you. It's him. Be humble and be, be invigorated in that truth today. It's not about how good you are, thank goodness, because you ain't very good. And neither am I. The, the older I get, the, real, the more I realize how terrible I am. I'm, a, I'm just not a very good person when it comes to God's standard. I'm just not. I'm easily irritated. I'm easily angered. It's easy for me to get mad at someone. It's easy for me to hold a grudge against someone. If you hurt someone I love, I want to choke you and choke the life out of you. I'm not a very good person. Christ is good. And the only thing that ever happens good in me is him working through me. That's it. If, if he left me alone and let me live the rest of my life without his Holy Spirit present, you would not want to spend five minutes with me. You just wouldn't. It's not about you. It's about him. Christ died for us. <sighs> While we were still sinners, knowing that many sinners wouldn't choose him, he still died for them too to give them the opportunity to demonstrate and prove who he is. Verse 7 reminds us that, that, we're, that even wretched sinners, this, the verse before we picked up, even wretched sinners will sacrifice for someone they like, someone they're close to, someone that means something to them. Even, even sinners like you and me, sometimes we'll do that. We'll die for somebody that we care about. But Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for those who are at war with him is actually the picture that Scripture gives towards sinners and God. At war with God, he died for that person, which was you if you're a follower of Christ at one point, and is still you if you're not a follower of Christ today. You are sitting here as an enemy at war with God, but you don't have to be. You don't have to be. The good news is that Christ died for you to end that war. What, what good news to herald to the world, to shout to every human being on this planet, you do not have to be at war with God any longer. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He loves you enough to shed his blood for you. It's an amazing, amazing truth. So Christ didn't die for you because you're good. He died for you in spite of the fact that you aren't good. He died because of who he is, not because of who you are. You aren't saved because you're good. Stop pretending like you are. Stop acting like you are. Stop acting like you've got it all figured out and you've got it all together. You don't. I don't. And we never will this side of eternity. But we do believe and trust in one that is good and that does have it all together and that does have a plan and that does know every single thing that's going to happen even to, down to the numbers of hair or lack thereof on your head. He knows it all the way down to that. For some reason he chose to take mine and that's okay, but he knows. It's not because of who you are. 
It's the object of our faith. The object of our faith. That's what matters. Not who you are. He is good. That is our hope. Our hope is the object of our faith. Not our faith itself. The object of our faith. Jesus Christ. Not whether or not you're good enough. Because we aren't. And even though we're not, Christ still died for us. It's an amazing demonstration of love that we should never stop talking about. Ever, ever, ever. Verse 9. Much more than... We're here in Romans, and Paul amplifies it then. He does this a lot throughout this letter. We're studying this letter on Wednesday mornings, and it, it has been awesome. I have so enjoyed that hour every week. It has been great. Much more than he raises it up. Having now been justified by his blood, why did Christ die for us? Because we could never be justified any other way. What is justified? It means to be declared not guilty. To be declared not guilty. Or to say it in the positive, to be declared righteous. Think about how unrighteous you are and then to stand before a holy God and somehow, some way, he's found a way to look at you and declare you righteous. Another way you could say it is to be redeemed. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night with the students. To be redeemed, to be bought back into freedom with God, to be declared not guilty. Something had to be done for wrong to be made right. So Jesus gave his innocent blood to justify you before God. Justify you. Justify God being able to forgive you. Think about that. A holy, righteous, just God, if he just said, oh, it's okay, everything's fine. Is he really just? Let me put it this way. I've said it this way before. Some of you will remember. If, you're, if your little brother or your older brother takes your toy and leaves with it, and mom or dad or grandma says, it's okay, Now I feel like a real preacher holding the hand mic. Yeah. Y'all better watch out. That's right. I feel like Charlie Dates in this mug. Y'all better watch out. <laughs> yeah, I got on to preach. <laughs> All right. So we've been justified. Much more than. Got the effects, John? a baby. It's on the bottom right of that board. Come on. It says mute. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Saved from the wrath of God. Because we are justified and no longer have to die because of our sin. That's what that means. We also no longer face the wrath of God in that death. Because Jesus took that too when he shed his blood. He took the wrath of God as well. He, he became every sin didn't just take it on he became it 
He became every sin from eternity past to forever forward. And in becoming that sin, even though he knew no sin, God poured out his anger, his justified, righteous anger and wrath that was deserved for the sin that had been committed. God is justified in that wrath. Not, not our selfish mad, our selfish anger. Holy, righteous, justified wrath poured out. We're justified and saved by the blood of Jesus. Woo! By what? What does that? By the blood. It's the blood. But why the blood? Why the blood? I'm so glad you asked. I'm a, little, I'm a little bit ready to teach. I was preaching, now I'm going to teach a little bit. I hope you're ready to learn a little bit today or at least be reminded of something that you already knew, which will take us to Hebrews chapter 9. So where we begin in Hebrews today, the author of Hebrews has just used Old Testament text showing that God intended all along to bring a new covenant. When he set the covenant in motion with Israel, it was never intended to be a permanent covenant. A permanent contractual agreement between two parties. That's what a covenant is. It was intended all along to bring a new covenant. He's just shown how the Old Testament even says that before we're picking it up in Hebrews. A new contractual agreement between himself and mankind. That the first covenant was temporary, even though it, was revealed, even though it revealed his eternal nature. It revealed God's eternal nature. It was never meant to stay in place forever. The stakes of that covenant must change. And in chapter 9, he reminds of a summary of that old covenant in one chapter. It's an amazing chapter in scripture. He, he, he summarizes the old covenant made with God and his people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews, the Israelites, different words, same people. Hebrews chapter 9 starts with this verse. Now, the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. An earthly sanctuary. So let's, let's take a quick look at that. So this would have been the temple mount in Jesus' time. We've looked at this before. The outer walls, then the inner temple, and then the gold part right there in the middle that stands up, for those that can see that, hopefully, the gold part right there in the middle, that's the actual sanctuary. The whole thing is the temple complex. The actual sanctuary is that part right there in the middle that looks like Kind of like a church building right there in the middle. If you zoom in on that part and then look at it from the top, that's this picture. So now we're looking down upon that. So this part over here on the left side where it says porch, holy place, holy of holies, that's that same building. That gold part right there, that part on the left right here is that building looking down on it like plans. This is the... Uh, permanent temple. This is a, an example of the permanent temple. The original temple that first happened was called a tabernacle, which was just a movable temple that started with Moses when they had to wander around. This temple was built the first time in about 900 B.C. Uh, when Solomon completed it, and then it was torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt, and the, that rebuilt one is the one we're looking at now. So you have the porch. In front of the porch, you have the altar that was raised and that's where they actually do all the animal sacrificing. And then inside the holy place, there were regulations. And then inside the holy of holies is a whole other area that we're about to get to. Okay, so verse 2. 
Picture that place in your mind. Verse 2. For a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation of the loaves. Behind the second curtain, the tabernacle was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. It contained the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold jar containing the manna, the stuff they ate. They kept some of that. The gold jar containing the manna that was ate by the Israelites in the desert. Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant, the law, the actual physical tablets that Moses had, all kept in the ark. The cherubim of glory were above it, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now because he's just given a quick summary in a few verses of things that took books to tell in the Old Testament. And then... In verse 6, with these things set up this way, the priests enter the first room repeatedly performing ministry. So they go into the first part and offer sacrifices on behalf of people for their sins all the time. It's happening often, 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 often in Israel. Sacrifices being made, sacrifices being made, sacrifices being made. But then in the holy of holies, things change even more. That only takes place... Once a year, verse 7, but the high priest alone enters the second room, the most holy place, and he does that only once a year and never without blood. And never without blood does he come before a holy God without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. In case all the stuff we've done all year long, sacrificing these animals, didn't cover it, one day a year, one person goes through this big ritual, gets all cleaned up, takes in this perfect, this blood from a perfect, unblemished lamb, and offers it to God one day a year to cover the other sin, all the stuff that somebody may not even thought about or realized that they did. Because even if you sin ignorantly, you still sin. Even if you break the law ignorantly, John, is this correct? I'm not a lawyer. But if you break the law ignorantly, is that still breaking the law? Okay, good. Had a baby. That's what, six, seven, eight years of higher education right there, boy. Okay, so now we've taken that aerial view and we're looking at it from the side. Okay, this first part is the first room, the holy place. Then there's a veil that's separated. And you did not cross that veil unless you wanted to die. The high priest crossed that veil one time a year. Then you can see the ark and the cherubim and everything inside of that room that where they went up to that place, the mercy seat, the top of that ark, and poured the blood on that for the people once a year to atone for their sin. So, that's the Day of Atonement. That's what that's called. One time a year. They still practice this, but they don't actually do this animal sacrifices. And in verses 8 through 10, the author explains the high priest did this in a place that was a symbol of what is in heaven. This is an earthly picture of a place that actually exists in heaven. It's crazy. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but it's an earthly representation, the first verse said. Then in verse 11, it was a symbol of what was to come. Then verse 11, but the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having, a turn, having obtained eternal redemption. That is saying that Jesus Christ 
became the high priest for all people, went into the actual heavenly temple, holy of holies, presence of God with his blood. And that is what has covered you and me and all sins for all eternity. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, he hadn't sinned, cleanse our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God. The power of the blood is you are cleansed from sin and can now actually serve God from a place of righteousness because of Jesus. Oh, wow. This is a lot, I know. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. There it is. Which we just partook of that symbolic act with communion. So that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because of a death he... A death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. Continuing in verse 17. For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in force. This is talking like a will, a testament. Like, you write out a will, leave this. A will is only in force while the other one who made it is, it is living. This is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. There it is again. For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. Blood has always been the most sacred form of payment. It's the most sacred form of payment. Now check the next verse, verse 22. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood because there was provisions made for people that were poor and couldn't afford an animal. That's why it says almost everything. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood is the payment demanded for sin. It always has been even before the law was established. People knew that blood is what covered up things for forgiveness. Verse 24. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but in heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. 26. Otherwise, he would have to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself, verse 27, as, just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, keep coming back, not to bear sin the second time, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen. And that's what we'll celebrate next week. What am I saying? I said a lot. What is all that saying? What I'm saying is this. The hope isn't what took place inside the temple. That's not the hope. What took place inside that temple in there. Jews still think it is, but it's not. The hope isn't how good you can pretend to be. The hope isn't how much money or fame or comfort or worldly enjoyment you can find in this quick, short life. The hope 
is what was done outside the temple. Come outside that temple complex. You see that little hill at the bottom right there? See where I'm pointing at the bottom there? That hill is called Golgotha in the Greek or Calvary in the Latin. It means a place that's shaped like a skull because of the shape of it. The righteous and innocent and holy blood shed by the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, happened right there. The blood shed to cover and pay for the sin so that you can be justified. Not what took place inside the building, what took place on that cross, on that hill. That's what changed everything forever. Sins forgiven and thrown away forever. No record of them. That and only that is the hope we have in Jesus. I'll say it like this. Tony, Tony Evans' illustration, because he's better at illustrations than I am, so I'll steal him. It's like there was a young girl going through a town, and she was speeding on the highway. And she was caught speeding, and she got a ticket. She couldn't afford to pay the ticket. It was 100 bucks, but she couldn't afford to pay it. So she went to court to try to get it thrown out, try to find mercy from the court. So she stands before the judge, and the judge says, you were caught speeding in our town, X, X speed over this much, $100 is the fine. She said, I can't pay the $100, but please have mercy on me. He said, well, the law says you either have to pay the $100 or go to jail for the weekend. She says, please have mercy on me. I, I don't want to go to jail. Jail's a horrible place. I don't want to go to jail. Please don't make me do that. He says, well, the law says you either have to pay the $100 or you have to go to jail for the weekend. She says, please, please, can the court please find some way to have mercy upon me? And he says, I'm bound by the law. And the law says that if you speed and you get a speeding ticket, it's $100. You can't pay it. It's a weekend in jail. And she said, there's nothing you can do. And he said, as the judge, there's nothing I can do. But he stood up. And he unzipped his robe. And he set his robe aside. And he walked around the bench. And he walked over there to the table. And he took out his wallet. And he put a $100 bill on the table. And then he walked back. Came back around the bench. Put his robe back on. And zipped it back up. And he says, you were caught speeding in our town. And the fine for that is $100. Or you have to spend a weekend in jail. But I see now that you have $100 on the table to pay for the fine. She said, I do. And she handed him the $100. And it went away. That's you and me. That, that's you and me. Ex except the offense wasn't speeding. The offense was sin against the almighty God. That was the offense. And the charge for that is sinner. And the penalty for that is death. Not a hundred bucks. God the Father, he stays sitting on the bench right now in his judge's robe. And he looks at you. And in order for him to be just and righteous, there must be a payment for the wrong done against him in your name and in my name. And the payment for that is life itself. We are murderers of the heart, spiritual bloodshedders, sinners, and blood must be shed to cover for our offense. For those, for those who's living faith in Jesus and the blood he shed for you to pay for your sins, this is what happens. This is what happens. God the Father in his righteous judge's robe 
looks at you, the guilty, and says, there must be payment for your sin. But now instead of seeing you, for those that have placed their faith in Christ, instead of seeing you, he sees himself. He looks out from the judge's bench to you at, in the court behind the table of the guilty one, the one charged. And he doesn't see you. And he doesn't see your sin. He sees himself because the Son has stepped in front of you when you place your faith in Christ. You're there. You're still standing there. But he can only see himself. He can only see his Son. And his Son says, Father, this one has been paid for. I took his sins to the cross. I became his sin on the cross. I put blood over his sin. I took the wrath for his sin. I have taken care of it because I love him and he loves me. God the Father looks down at your record of sin, the charge of being a sinner, and the penalty of death. He looks down at that and he stamps across it. Paid in full. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what good news is. But that's what the blood of Jesus has done. And that's why it's the only, the one and only precious, precious hope that we have in this life. The check written to pay for the forgiveness of sin, paid for with Jesus Christ's precious blood. What is the one true, real, lasting, promising, redemptive, everlasting hope that we have what is that one hope? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the hope. Nothing but the blood shed on the cross for you and for me by the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. What does that mean for us today? In our day-to-day -day lives, how does that affect us in the here and now, right now? Well, it changes everything. It changes everything. When you're living from a place of undeserved forgiveness, when you experience and know God's love, then you have power, real, true, lasting power, power to forgive, power to transform lives, power to lean into suffering and open up your heart big and wide to be like your Savior. When you, when you have seen and tasted and felt and know the love of God, when you've seen the demonstration of His love that He has given for us through His Son, this, this powerful act of sacrifice, then we should desire to demonstrate God's love to each other and to the world. The world needs us to demonstrate God's love. Not just feel it. Not just know about it. Not just talk about it in here. It needs us to demonstrate His love. To act. A lost and dying world needs a powerful demonstration of God's love. It needs less chirping and more doing. It needs less condemnation and more forgiveness. We need to demonstrate his love. Sunistao, demonstrate, stand up for his love. God's love, that's what changed the world then. It's what's still changing hearts of dead sinners to living saints now. And it's the only thing that ever will. And it's the only hope that we have. Everything else is temporary and fading away and worth nothing. To eternity live from the power of the blood no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me Jesus commands my destiny till he returns 
or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. So, if you are not saved by the blood of Jesus today, then come down here when we start singing, and let's talk about it, and then let's profess your faith in Christ to this church. And if you are saved, if you do proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then demonstrate God's love to someone this week. This week. Holy week. It's Palm Sunday and next week's Easter. Demonstrate God's love to someone this week in a powerful and mighty way because you're living from the power of Christ's blood shed for you. And watch God work. And then we'll come back in here next week and celebrate it because he'll do something. He'll do something. Father, I pray today, Lord, that if there's anyone amongst us that is not saved, that today would be the day of salvation and that we wouldn't play around or mess around or worry about people's eyes or what they're doing or what they're thinking or anything like that, God, that we would set all that aside and understand that there is one hope in this life, one, and that is that you actually have the power to forgive sin, you have actually taken away the, pen the punishment of death, and you have given the gift of eternal life. May someone come down here today and proclaim that as the truth that they are now going to live from, from now until eternity, God. Lord, and if you're stirring up a heart in someone that is already saved, God, may, may they tend to the business that you're placing on their heart. If they need to come lay it at the altar to pray about it, may that be today. If they need to go to someone and make something right, may that be today. God, may we live and demonstrate your love and live from a place of the power of the blood that was shed for us and stop playing around and pretending like things aren't as serious as they are. God, reconcile us to each other and reconcile us to you. God, I pray in Jesus' matchless name that your will will be done as we finish up this service today. May I pray it. Pray it, Lord, expecting and hoping. Amen. May I ask you to stand now.